Hey guys, this is Naeem and you've reached the Mosaic Church Podcast. So excited that you're part of our listening community and I'd love for you to be even more connected. So check out our website. There's more content there and there's more opportunities for you to get connected in our ministries and events as well. Also, love for you to share this content. If this is blessed to you, I know that God wants to use you to bless other people with it. So share this podcast, if you will. Lastly, would you consider supporting this ministry? This is made possible by other people's generosity, and I'd love for you to pay it forward. Join us to reclaim the message and the movement of Jesus together. So would you consider giving to this ministry? I know that God is able to do immeasurably more through us when we come together. Thank you so much. God bless you and enjoy. Hey, good morning and welcome to Mosaic and happy 4th of July weekend. We are online only this weekend. And if you're watching that live, hey, I want you to jump into the chat. Maybe let us know what your plans are for the weekend. Let us know where you're watching this from. If you are not watching on Sunday, July 3rd, then I'm sorry to tell you the chat is actually gone. But we're still proud of you for setting aside time to come and join us and catch up. Anyways, this is going to be part two of a conversation that we started last week where we looked at a passage in Jeremiah to look for signs of spirituality that is dry, cracked, or maybe even broken. Now, if you missed any of it, I will do my best to kind of fill you in and bring you with us along the way, but you can always go back later and watch that first message. Now, you may remember I told you about a gift that my daughter Marley brought me when she was in preschool, and it was a replica of her little hand. It was supposed to hold my rings. That was its intended purpose. But somehow, before I was even able to unwrap it, somehow it got broken. And I remember unwrapping the pieces and looking at this treasured thing that she had made and was so excited to bring to me. And in that moment, as I looked at the pieces and held her broken little hand, For the briefest moment, I felt like maybe I was looking and seeing people the way God sees us, where we bring him our broken lives. We bring him our good intentions, and we can even say, I don't even know how it got that way. But just like I have kept the pieces of Marley's broken hand for years, I think that God does that to us. He takes every little piece, and he cherishes them because he sees the beauty not only in what we tried to do, but also in what still can be. See, God doesn't want to start over with you. He wants to make your spirituality whole. He wants to put the pieces back together, but not so you can be a pretty little decorative thing to sit up on a shelf. God wants to put you back together because he designed you for a purpose. That's what we're going to look at today. The, the, the verse, the scripture that we're going to kind of circle around this morning is Ephesians 2.10. And it tells us, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. There's so much in that tiny little passage. You are God's masterpiece You are created anew in Christ Jesus, and you were made to do good things. I know some of you are still teetering. You're like, listen, that's great. This is cool. But my spirituality still doesn't look quite whole 
are healed. So what is this even supposed to look like for me? Well, I'm going to give you three questions today that I want you to sit with and maybe even take to God and ask him to help you answer. And the first question is this, who are you? Who are you? Or if you want to ask yourself, say, who am I? Right? For some of you, this is an easy question to answer. You've got things coming right away. Others of you are like, this is the first question. This is already hard. I have no idea who I am right now. Who are you? Maybe things are slowly starting to come. Words are starting to come to mind. Maybe husband, wife, friend, mother, father, sister, brother, leader, teacher, employee, girlfriend, boyfriend. But see, these are all labels that describe what you actually are. Or maybe for you, the first words that came to your mind were labels or identifiers that other people have put on you. Loud, clumsy, emotional, sensitive, reactive, simple, weird, sick, broken. But do you know who you actually are? See, the Bible tells us that from the beginning of creation, the beginning of the Bible, we were created in God's image to reflect him. The Latin term is imago Dei, which which means the image of God. And so in Genesis 1, it says, God said, let us make human beings in our image. So God created human beings in his image. And just a few verses later, he calls it very good. You were created, you were made in the image of God. If you don't know how to answer that question, who am I? Have you ever asked him? Have you ever asked God who you are? See, we have to start here. I know you were like, I thought we were talking about purpose. I thought you were going to tell me what I can do. But we have to start here first because there's a difference between what you do and who you are. There's a difference between what you do and who you are. And God made who you are way before you even had the opportunity to do anything. A couple more verses that are going to help us to answer that question. Galatians 1.15. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. I encourage you to go back and read these verses. Take the me's and the I's personally. You are called. You are chosen. You are seen. You are loved. Regardless of what anyone in your life has told you about who you are, how you got here, or what your life is. God created you, he called you, and he thinks that you are chosen. 1 John 3.1 says, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. Listen to me. There is no one more precious in life than a child. Okay, (laughs) that is my opinion. Let me know if you think the same. There is no one more precious than a child. They are innocent. They are funny without even meaning to be funny. They are so willing to see other people. They are willing to love. They are eager to learn. 
And if you're a parent, you know that the love you have for your children is a love like no other. It cannot compare. And that is who you are to God. You are loved. You are chosen. You are restored. You are redeemed. You are his. When God looks at you, he sees exactly what he wanted you to be. He sees exactly who he wanted. And it doesn't mean that we don't have room to grow. It doesn't mean that we don't need to change and mature. We're going to get to that in a second. But when God made you, he created you with all of the best parts of himself. You are God's masterpiece, and he created you with purpose so the world would know what he is like. Imago Dei, you are his image. Last week, we used the metaphor of being molded like clay, and we talked about that passage in Jeremiah where we, the people, have to remain in God's hand in order to continue being formed because God is the potter, and that's our only job as the clay, is just to stay in his hands because as long as we do, we're never finished being formed. So remembering that, the second question that we have to ask ourselves is this, who am I becoming? Who are you becoming? If you call yourself a Christian, then you are called to become a certain kind of person. The Greek words for Christian essentially read as a little Christ. So not only are you the image of God, but like you are also Jesus's little me, mini me. What is the terminology? Mini me? You are Jesus's mini me. Now, that means that we should live in a way that reflects him. This doesn't mean that we have to know everything that he knew. This does not mean that we all need to somehow figure out a way to become uh, Middle Eastern Jewish men. It's not exactly what it means. But to become more and more like the person of Jesus, we have to try to replicate or duplicate his life to the best of our abilities. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians 13 that often gets used uh, for love. Sometimes we, you start with this and then you go into all the love verses. You might hear it at wedding ceremonies. But I want to read it to you in the context of how we are supposed to live our lives. It starts in verse 3. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. What is he saying here? He's saying of all of these things, if I could speak to angels, if I could somehow communicate with the heavenly realm, if I understood God's ways, if I knew what God knew, and please be cautious of the people who say they know all of things that God knows. If I had faith to move mountains, if I sacrificed everything I have, if I even gave up my life, but I didn't have what? The right answers? If I didn't have the right information, if I didn't have the backing of the right political party, no, hang on, what does it say? Oh, love, 
for others. If I didn't have love for others, I would be nothing. Jesus even says it himself in Matthew 23. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And Jesus' whole life reflected the same. Love for people. Actionable, visible love for people. Now, there's a difference between knowing Jesus and becoming more like him. See if you can help me with the difference here. A lot of Christians know Jesus. Wouldn't you agree that actually the religion of Christianity is based on the knowledge of and the belief in Jesus? Yeah, right? A lot of Christians know scripture and they share it with people. Maybe they put it on their social media. Lots of good scripture memes that you can just share with that little arrow. But maybe their lives don't actually reflect what they say. A lot of Christians know spiritual practices. And so they pray and they go to church. Maybe they read their Bible. But their religious practice is one that ends up being more of a consumer theology. Their only focus is on what they know and how it saves them and how it makes them look to other Christians. But they're unaware of how their words and their actions are not only hurting people in Jesus' name, but they're poorly reflecting the character and the nature of God. To become Christ is different. And it's possible that not everyone who claims the title of Christian is actively working on becoming like Jesus. 1 John 2 helps us to better understand where we are. If we are following Jesus or following this religion of Christianity, we'll start in verse 3. It says, we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show, that is a verb, show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should what? Live their lives as Jesus did. Are you a follower of Jesus or are you a follower of the religion of Christianity? Now, if you are a follower of Christianity, maybe that you are good. Maybe you can be good just knowing about him and knowing what he said and knowing what he did and telling other people about it. And you are set. You don't have to become anything else. You don't have to grow. You don't have to mature anymore. But you run the risk of being, being that clanging symbol, that gong, that noisy gong that doesn't really add value to anyone's life and is just kind of annoying and people will eventually begin to tune it out. See, it is possible to be right in the wrong way. It is possible to be right in the wrong way. If your theology sounds nice in word, 
but does not have love, I don't think that's the way of Jesus. If your theology honestly makes you kind of a jerk, <laughs> even if you're calling someone out in love, sister, in love, brother, if your theology sounds nice, but it doesn't actually act in love, I don't think it's the way of Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to live your life as Jesus did. Allow yourself to be created anew. Value what he valued. And it's not hard to figure out what this is. Read the scriptures for yourself and you will see it. Love people, extend grace. Take what you know and move it into action. Jesus often quoted scripture too, often to the most religious people in the room. But he did so right before he demonstrated what it looked like to be lived out. Do a little, I have a little experiment for you that you can do this week if you would like to. Pick a gospel in the New Testament. Those are the ones that have the account of Jesus' actual life when he walked on earth. And ask yourself these questions. Keep track, maybe. Where in your life do you see yourself living out the example of Jesus? Right? Make tallies, maybe, if you want. And where in scripture do you see Jesus living the way that you do? See, I think the goal here is for them to be more similar than different as we do the best we can to become like him. All right, so now that you know your value, you know who you are, and in humility we can say, this is who we are becoming, who we can be as we mature. Now what? Now here's your third question. What's my purpose? What am I actually supposed to do? Let's look at 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 and 21. It says, In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. All right, now, tap into your imagination with me because we are all utensils in the kitchen of heaven, okay? We are all utensils, and I wanna know which one do you pick? Which one do you pick? Drop it in the chat if you would like. You are a utensil in the kitchen of heaven. Which one are you gonna be? I know that some of you watching are a little bit bougie and you have already decided. You're like, I'm the gold goblet. I'm gonna be the champagne flute. I'm gonna be pulled out and used for special occasions. Somebody check me. I guarantee you that my husband has already decided like he's a cheese board or a charcuterie plate or something like that. <laughs> Others of you might be like, yeah, I'm actually that cheap one. Like I'm a plastic fork, I'm pretty sure. Or maybe I'm a, I'm a cracked coffee mug with a missing handle. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter how you identify, however you identify, whatever the thing was that came to your mind, we need all of them in the kitchen. My kitchen cannot just be full of fancy champagne flutes. I need a garbage can to hold all of my trash. And that doesn't mean that my garbage can has any less value than my fancy champagne flutes. Actually, I would say that it might have more because I can live a life without champagne flutes and fancy things. I need a place to put all of our garbage. 
I'm gonna miss that more if it's gone. See, we have a variety of vessels because there are a variety of needs and the world is the same way. And maybe you're thinking, okay, Kristen, that's cute, but like there really are more special vessels and by vessels, I mean more special people that are used for special occasions. Okay, sure, maybe there are people out there that you know or that you see whose roles or lives or titles seem more glamorous. Maybe they have more attention. Maybe they seemingly reach more people or seemingly do more for God than you do. But that's not even what this is saying. It's not saying that that is the life that we are all supposed to be trying to attain or striving to live. The point here is that all of that the fame, the notoriety, maybe someone's knowledge or their success, the access that they have, the opportunities that they have, it doesn't make that person any more valuable than the person who would consider themselves just living an ordinary life. See, Paul isn't comparing the different types of vessels in this passage. He isn't telling us which one to be. He's just making a statement that there are different kinds of vessels and they are all used for different purposes. We get confused because the world tells us otherwise. The world tells us that we should compare. Because when we compare, then it, it, it puts all of the emphasis back on our values. It says that we should compare because we do have different values. And then we start to think that who we are is dependent upon what we do. That's why we started with your value. And let me say it again, your intrinsic value, your worth was determined well before you were able to do anything for God. Now, maybe you're the kind of person that has to constantly remind yourself your value and your purpose both come from God, but they are not connected. You don't get to choose your value because you already have it. Your choice comes and your willingness to be used by God, but even in that, it's up to him to determine what it's going to look like. And it won't look like anyone else's. It won't look maybe even like what you think it will look like. I have been told <laughs> to my face, well, I just don't like to think of you as a pastor because in my mind, pastors should be held to a higher standard. Okay? <laughs> I think this is what happens when we misunderstand people's value and their purpose. Or we forget that God is actually the only one who gets to determine what they are. See, if we think, just for example, that pastors are supposed to fit into one particular box, maybe, I don't know, a white male who never stirs up uncomfortable feelings or never frames up faith in a way other than how it's always been taught and who only presents like the perfect sides of himself and keeps all of his mistakes and all of his struggles and all of his humanity tucked away, just saying, then maybe we will think that only certain vessels can be used for certain purposes. See, this is like looking at that wide variety of vessels, all of the utensils, all of the things in the kitchen and saying, I can only drink water out of the champagne flute. 
I cannot get the same water from a cracked coffee cup with a missing handle. See, the value there is no longer on the message itself. If that is what we are looking at, if that's where we're putting our value, we are missing what we could be getting, what we could be taking in from God and putting the value instead on the type of vessel that holds it. If you remember from last week in 2 Corinthians, we, we talked about and we read a passage that said we may be only clay jars, but we carry the treasure of Jesus because it's not about us and it's not about how we look. It's about him speaking and moving through us. And nowhere that I have found did Jesus say, this opportunity to be used for every good work is only for the shiny and perfect people. Let's not miss God speaking to us because we've been told that he should sound or look one particular way. And if you can relate <laughs> to that fun story, can I please remind you, you have something to give, but you do not have something to prove. You have something to give, but you do not have something to prove because the only person whose opinion matters doesn't need convincing. He already knows you have value. There's a tool that I loved as we're figuring out our purpose, and it's called the Enneagram. It's basically a personality typing system that helps you understand why you think and feel and behave in certain ways, and it's based on your core values, fears, and desires. We'll drop a link in the chat if you want to take the free assessment. You can also just read about the types. I would say yourenneagramcoach.com. This is not a paid sponsorship. I just think that they frame it up the best. Now, before you think I'm trying to put you in a box and type you, because you were like, uh, didn't you just say we're all supposed to like celebrate our uniqueness and, and be vessels and all of that? Yes, yes. And just because you identify with a personality type or a number doesn't mean that you are the same as everyone else who also identifies in that number. It's like this. It's like colors, right? If sevens are blue, there's a range. As a seven, you could be navy blue, you could be Crayola blue, you could be sky blue, you could be Carolina blue. There, there is a difference and there is a range. You're still special and unique, boo, okay? It's all good. This is just gonna help you to be more self-aware. So there's nine different personality types on the Enneagram and I am a three, which means a lot of different things. I've got some good things going for me as a three. I'm outgoing, I have good leadership, I am a cheerleader for people. I like to encourage people that they can do whatever it is that they're dreaming. And I really like success, so I am good at getting stuff done. Also, now that I know I'm a three, it means that my expectations are often too high, even for myself. It means that I have no patience for inefficiency. I can be extremely reactive when it comes to feelings because I feel all of my feelings in a very big way all of the time, even if I don't have time to stop and acknowledge them. It means I'm good at pretending because the way I come across is really important to Enneagram threes. It means I take criticism really hard and I crave validation and approval in order to feel loved by other people and even by God. Now, all of these things I have learned because of embracing 
this tool, but for years, I hid these parts of me, both the quote-unquote good ones and the challenges. I hid them all because I thought that they disqualified me from being used by God. See, the Enneagram, this is why I love it. It gave me permission and freedom to embrace who I am and who I'm becoming so that I can fully live into my purpose instead of trying to live into someone else's. And it also taught me to recognize that God made everyone else exactly who he wanted them to be, and he did that on purpose too. It taught me not only self-acceptance, but also how to create space for people who are different than me and who think differently than me without trying to change them or wishing that they were different. See, that's part of figuring out your value and your purpose too, is realizing that everyone else is just as unique in theirs. So why are you here? Why are you here? What are you going to do? I think Jesus knew that we'd ask this question too, and so we've got an answer in Matthew. This is in the message translation, because I just love how beautiful it, it reads. Uh, chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. He's saying, be who you are and shine. Let the light of Jesus pour out of you. I cannot help but get the visual every time I read this passage. I've been beauty and the beast when the beast turns into a prince and the light is just coming out of like all of his fingers and his toes and it's just radiating and shooting out of his entire body. That is what we are supposed to do. Stop trying to do it all. Stop trying to do what other people are doing. God can't use who you pretend to be. God can't use who you pretend to be. He made you like you are on purpose because he likes you like that. And he wants to use you like that. At Mosaic, we often say that we are the broken becoming beautiful as we come together and we learn to be more like Jesus. But really, we're the broken creating beauty as we come together to be the church that Jesus called us to be, bringing out all of these God colors in the world. And God wants you to play your part with whatever broken pieces you have. He wants to heal your brokenness so you can hold the brokenness of others. Remember that verse that we started with, Ephesians 2.10? Now instead of we, I'm going to personalize it a little bit for you. For you are God's masterpiece. He has created you anew in Christ Jesus so you can do the good things he planned for you long ago. Not once you get it together. Not once you prove to him that you can the good things that he planned for you long ago. What 
are those good things that God has planned for you right now, this week even? And what is keeping you from doing them? Which of these three questions do you need to sit with? Who you are, who you're becoming, or what you're doing? See, wherever you are, if you think you're being formed or reformed or you're ready to be used, God has you in the process for a reason. And it's not to be a pretty shiny little Christian that he can just put in his collection. God doesn't need us to do things. He's not a puppeteer and we are not robots, but he wants us to be involved. He invites us to be involved in his story because he loves us. He restrains himself and gives us his power so that we can bring him into the world. Who do you know that needs to be seen by God? Who do you know right now that needs to be loved, cared for, defended, supported, seen? If you can't think of anyone or you don't feel like you're being Jesus to anyone, maybe if you only really know and associate and engage with other Christians, can I suggest that maybe your next good thing is to expand your circle? Because there are a lot of people all over this country, right in your city, in your neighborhood, in your office, in your church, who need the love of God. And he trusts you to reflect him to the people around you. They may not be seeing him in other people because it's your version of God. It's your version of Jesus that they're going to recognize. The world needs, the world needs you. The world needs your color, your voice, your perspective, your humor, your quirkiness. All of it has value and God will speak through you through all of those little things that for so long you tried to hide. God is going to use those exact details. The things that you thought made you wrong or broken or disqualified you, those are the exact things that he is gonna use to deliver healing, power, encouragement, love, grace, forgiveness, his message through you. He wants to use you in a special and unique way because no one else will represent him the way that only you can. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much, God, just for the way that you love us. God, I thank you that you love us, not equally, but uniquely, Lord, and that um, we can all show up, God, regardless of age, regardless of race, regardless of ability, God, regardless of what we look like or what we think we can and can't do, God, I pray right now that any labels, any words, any identifiers, God, that people have been carrying around that were put on them by someone else, God, that they would just fall off and that everyone watching right now, God, would know that they are yours and that they have value. God, give us the humility to see where in our lives we need to change, maybe where we need to start doing things differently, thinking about things differently, God, maybe even believing things differently so that we can more reflect you in this world. And God, we thank you that even though you don't need us to reach the people of our communities, God, that you allow us in and you invite us in because you trust us and you created us to do so. In your name we pray. 
Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Mosaic Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. For more audio and video content, visit us at mosaicchurch.tv.